An Instagram post gets an unexpected boost. A TikTok catches in the algorithm. Sometimes that's all it takes to launch someone into internet fame. But then what? This Blew Up is a new podcast documentary that reveals how social media stardom is made. It's a different kind of fame that's not always as glamorous as it looks. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Alyssa Bereznak. You can listen to This Blew Up on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Go beyond reality with new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea and discover a berry delicious world bursting with unexpected blackberry flavor. A world so full of refreshing blackberry iced tea that you may never want to leave. But there's always time to linger. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit amazon.com slash pureleaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode. I say another episode every single episode, and uh, I think that's just because one day I'm not going to say it, but you won't hear me say anything. Riley, is that you think that's going to be the case? Eventually we'll just disappear, or are we going to go on forever, even past the existence of Survivor? Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's a question for Jeff Probst, but you know, <laughs> they, they'll probably fill it with something. <laughs> and we'll be the ones to cover it. Well, yeah, we'll we'll cover a different show. Okay. Actually, I don't think Survivor will even end ever. We really? probably won't. Well, we probably won't live long enough to see it. I mean, it'll end at some point. You know, the 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 sun will explode eventually. I don't think Survivor will survive that. But uh, I think it'll <laughs> be around think, for a long time. <laughs> Survivor isn't the cockroach of entertainment that is unkillable. No, 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 no. I would never describe Survivor as a cockroach. Okay, well, uh, let's have our guest weigh in on on uh, those thoughts. Uh, today with us, one of, if not the star of the very first season of the new era of Survivor, Xander Hastings. Xander, what are your thoughts on Survivor going forever and ever and ever? Are Riley's and my job safe here? Yeah, I think that Jeff's probably immortal and that we're going to start to figure out over time that he just doesn't age. I think it's just like not enough time has passed for us to realize it, but he's, he's going to live forever. So you guys will have, you know, an unending supply of, uh, of things to talk about. Okay. So on my deathbed, I can turn to my daughters and be like, keep an eye on Jeff Probst. Something isn't right with him as I, <laughs> yeah. 20 years younger than him, pass on at the age of 103 is my prediction for myself. We are on episode five here. Uh, preposterous is the name of it. Riley, is preposterous spelled right there? Because my spell checker keeps saying it's not, but I double checked it. I don't think I have access to your notes. You, you might have <laughs> spelled it wrong. It's spelled right on my screen. <laughs> well, is it spelled right on the title of Survivor? Because that's how I spelled it. And it's underlined with a red line. How's it spelled? P 
P-R-O-P-O-S-T-E-R-O-U-S. P-R- it starts with P-R-O? That's how the episode was titled, I believe. Wait, what? Like Proposterous? I oh, think so. I didn't notice this. Should I go back and look Hold real on. quick? I'm, you I'm look at the episode look title look because I'm too important here to do the fact checking. You're right. Wait, you're right. It's, Dude, again. Oh, man. Huh. Yeah, no, I don't know if that's intentional. Like they're trying to make a pun or they just, it probably is intentional. It's right. How could they miss that? I mean, it's not that punny or is it? Anyways, like my observation skills, I just wanted to prove to both of you are far superior to most people. Xander, you are our very first guest we've ever had that has only played a 26-day season. I've gotten lots of thoughts from lots of people who have played 39-day seasons on the 26-day version, but I've never heard someone that's only played the 26-day version and their thoughts on the 39-day season. Can you expound on that a little bit for us before we get into this episode specifically? Yeah, yeah. I'd say one, it's an honor to be the first person from the new era to be on your podcast. But two, it's such a shame that like there is a difference because it is like, I think it does make a pretty noticeable difference in the game. I think that 26 days is like way less time to collect yourself and to figure out the plan, take away that you know extra day of uh, kind of sitting around and being calm and waiting. Uh, and I think that like we see a lot more that there is more like chaos in the mix. There are so many advantages and so many plans going out. And then at the end of the day, it's kind of like there's a, a brief explanation, but it's not always super clear why people are voting the way they are. And I think it's because with uh, you know the quick turnaround, you kind of just got to go. Uh, because if you take too much time to figure out exactly what's going to be your optimal move, then like people have already moved past that by the time you've figured it out. So in order to think on your feet and to be able to stay with the flow of the game, you just got to go quick. And how do you think it takes 39 days, arguably, it takes a harder toll on the body, mentally, emotionally. Jeff says he counterbalances that with making it more difficult with food, making the game harder. Do you think that the modern 26-day game is as difficult, even if it's in different ways, as a 39-day game? Because for me, playing the 39 days, I didn't get real, real, real tired mentally and emotionally until about that time, like day 25, day 24, day 20. Somewhere in there is the day where I remember specifically on token chains being like, I'm tired. And also on Blood Versus Water, where I was like, I'm really, really hungry right now. And I remember specifically being about 10 days from the finish line. Yeah. So I'm an interesting case here because I didn't do, you know, what everybody says to do. They say, you know, pack on weight, put on like 15 pounds and get ready. Um, I fasted before I went out there. So in total from leaving America, coming back to America, I lost 34 pounds. Uh, and like, I don't really have that much weight to lose. Um, so that was like pretty devastating. I couldn't even do like 10 pushups by the time I got back. Uh, and I think the fast thing, it helped in a way where I hit that brick wall you're talking about, mm -hmm. like pretty early on. And I felt like I was already adjusted to low calorie intake, being able to think cognitively and not being like, you know, just drained um, to the point where I couldn't think. Because I think a lot of people do hit that point. Uh, but if you try and 
hit it earlier because you fasted before, then you get used to it and you fall into a rhythm of like, oh, okay, my body understands I'm not getting a lot of food. So this is what we've got to work with. This is the new norm. Um, so I felt adjusted uh, and to the point where like towards the end of the game, I was very used to it. But again, like mentally, I think the light at the end of the tunnel of getting close to the game is a close to the end of the game is a huge boost. But I'd say all in all, it's definitely very difficult. I'd love to play a 39 day season at some point to see the difference. But I think at least for me, I'd say it's on par with a 39 day season, given the fact that like, you know, there were, uh, there was a stretch of three days where we didn't have food at all on Yasa Beach. Um, we'd run out of coconuts, uh, couldn't find any more crabs. They had this, uh, Trivoli tree, but I'm allergic to so many nuts that they wouldn't let me, uh, eat any of the nuts. So while, while all the girls on Yasa were eating these like Trivoli nuts, they were like, yeah, we just don't know. We can't really risk it. Um, so. So I ended up just not eating for those those like two or three days, and it was uh, it was pretty hard to come by food. Okay, yeah, uh, and and I think that like I've have seen thirty nine days where they have also not had food for a long time and stuff like that, and I do think the light at the end of the tunnel also is is very uh, that's something. Like, can you imagine being on day twenty six and realizing that you still have thirty three percent of game left to go? Yeah, I think that's where the biggest factor plays in is it's like, you know, you're counting the days, but when you've got like, you know, another 10 days from day like yeah, 29, that's just pretty devastating. <laughs> yeah, it really is. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Like halfway is not a really a milestone. Three quarters is still not even a milestone. You're not even really there until like, four days to the end where you're like, okay, we're getting close now. Riley, have I ever told you about the cashew nut uh, experience I had on uh, token chains? You said earlier uh, that token chains was the reason you decided to apply for Survivor, watching Stephen Fishback do a mathematical challenge. You also talked about these nuts. Uh, before we went out and filmed token chains, they do that little Survivor school and they have wild cashew, uh, which are a fruit, and the cashew is actually the seed, and it grows in a seed pod on the exterior of the fruit. It's a cashew apple. The seed is very toxic until it's been through production. So, like, you cannot eat a raw cashew nut. You will get very sick. And they were very specific about that. I found a cashew apple, like, day two. And uh, during one of my interviews, they were like, did you, have you found any food yet? And I was like, yeah, I found a cashew apple. I ate the cashew. It was gross. And the <laughs> producer looked around and was like, for reals, did you eat a, a, a cat? And she was trying to be cool. Like you're not going to die. But in her mind, I could see that she was like, this guy's going to die. And I was like, yeah, I ate it. It was weird. It tasted like rotten and like a little bit like chemical-y and stuff. And she was like, oh my God. And she like was on the walkie was like Tyson, a, 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 cashew, a cashew nut. And I was like, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. I listened, I paid attention. And uh, there was a little moment of panic there from production as they thought I would be the first one to die on uh, Survivor. Let's get into it here. Uh, episode eight, go back at camp, zombie time with the night uh, night vision. And it shows Jesse, Sammy, and Cody had jumped on with Coco to vote uh, Ellie out. Is that right? 
and Janine's on the bottom, and she uh, Dwight out. Dwight. Oh my gosh! Two episodes ago was Ellie. Now it's Dwight. And Sammy goes to Janine and Owen, and is like, "I had to do it." And I really think this is like a breakout episode for Sammy here. We see him do a lot. And he's positioned himself really well as long as he doesn't get found out. Uh, He goes and kind of like tries to fix his relationship with Janine and Owen and just says, hey, I realized that votes weren't going. I had to jump ship. I'm still with you. And then we see Janine looking very, very sad. One of the saddest, I think, (laughs) looks we've seen on Survivor as she gives her confessional about being on the outs, losing the idol. And she's crying. And then we get this whole montage of the entire camp celebrating that Janine's idol was gone, only to be told at the very last moment that Jesse actually has the idol that Janine had because she gave it to Dwight. Dwight, in a panic, gave it to Jesse. Xander, you are a fan of Survivor. You've watched the show for a long time. This is something I think that is relatively new in the edit here is keeping information from the viewer. Do you like this? Did you like this surprise when you saw it? Were you like, oh yeah? Or were you like, why didn't you show us that? I, I loved it. I thought that this was a great um, a great way to like keep the excitement going from that, you know, uh, shell game of switching all the advantages around and like having things being chaotic and to finally have this come into play an episode later really draws out the excitement of the new advantages that they're putting in because i think that if you did put all these advantages in you know there are quite a few of them if you're not going to get like sweet payoff like that where it's a nice shock factor of like no way there was a surprise and keeping the audience guessing i like it yeah okay i'm the opposite I like to know what's going on. And I feel like as a viewer, I should be like in the eyes of the production team and know everything that's going on. And then I can be ready for somebody to get got rather than, oh, they got got. And here's why. Like, uh, it, cha- it changes why Jesse flipped in the last episode. We were, he, yeah. It was like, oh, he just wants to make a big move and take out Dwight. But now we know he could take out the only person that knew that he has an idol. And it's like that. That's like a way more salient motivation for him to make that flip. Yeah, that is true. I think that the reason I push back on that is because it puts us in the shoes of the players. I think a big part of the way that the fandom reacts to Survivor is that there's so much hindsight bias. You know all the information as a viewer. So it's easy for you to say, oh, this was the correct move. This is what you should have done. But when you hide things from the viewer, you get the same experience as someone who's actually playing the game. So that shock of finding out like, oh, wow, like Jesse had the idol. That's the same feeling that you would get if you were on the island as a player. Like it shows that you really don't know all the information at every given moment and that there are so many question marks for each player while they're playing. What if they hadn't shown us that Jesse has the idol in this episode and they'd waited until some future episode when he uses it and then flashed all the way back? See, I, I love that idea because I feel like then people would truly appreciate like what it's like to be a player and to not know what's going on. Uh, you know, there's always like uh, that argument of like the edit versus what actually happened. And like, I think as you put more surprises in, you approach what actually happens a lot. So what you'd have to do is film from a couple players' perspectives. Like, you know, those movies that 
tell the same story from a different perspective and then go back and tell the same that same story from a, the other person's perspective. You could do that, follow through a few people's eyes, uh, which I don't hate. Like, that could be pretty cool, actually. Uh, and it does make sense because I honestly, thinking as I started this episode and pushed play on it, I was thinking back and I was like, why didn't somebody target an idol specifically or the person that gave them an idol specifically so they can have it for themselves. And I was like, this isn't making sense. Like, is everybody really just like playing the way Ryan wants everybody to play where they're all just like, we're enjoying the experience too. (laughs) And I, for a moment was like, I think they are. I think everybody's afraid right now to do the thing that they need to do to further themselves in the game. So it was refreshing to see that Jesse had made that decision. Uh, I just would have liked to be on the know. I'm one of those guys where it's like, I need to know the secrets. We go uh, to the next morning making the tribe flag. I don't know why they do that every season. Did you enjoy making your tribe flag? We, I think we waited like so many days. To actually and then the producers forced you. They were like, you got to make it right now. Pretty much. And we were worried too that like, oh, a couple of names aren't going to be on this if, uh, <laughs> if, we, if we wait any longer. <laughs> but we did. We did the tribe flag making experience. And again, it's always nice to get a little bit of a microcosm of like how people interact in terms of like a, who takes charge, who's going to be the one to assert like, oh, I want you know these designs on here. Oh, I'll take the lead. Like who are the abrasive personalities and who are the people who are going to say, you know what, you guys you guys do this. I'll sit back and watch. But yeah, I mean, it's a, it was a nice little reprieve. Um, and yeah, it's a, again, I don't think it's, I think it's more of a secret scene type thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> Did you enjoy making your tribe fly? No, never. It was like that. Like <laughs> two people were excited about it. Everybody else was annoyed. And then at the end of the day, someone from a producer stepped in and was like, you guys got to make your fucking flag right now <laughs> so we have this moment on TV and can move on and come up with a name for the tribe, please, right now. And then somebody's just like forced to like shout a word out that becomes the tribe and nobody can decide even though they're all made up words. And then some guy in production's like, I speak the local language. They're like, do you? He's like, not really, but I'll make a word up for you. That'll be the tribe name. And that's like the way it goes usually, unless somebody has a clever thing they want to use from home spelled backwards or whatever they got going on. We had a different experience because this is now the super fandom era. So everybody's so into the show that, that <laughs> everybody had a name. Everybody had looked up something in Fijian that they wanted to use as the tribe name. So it was all like, well, I've got this Fijian word. Well, we could use this Fijian word. We ended up going with Hungary, which was uh, Erica's word. And what was your word? My word was the island that we were quarantined on because the hardest part about our season was the quarantine beforehand. I like being stuck in a little condo for an entire two weeks was like the hardest thing I've ever done (laughs) under the Michelle. Where were you? Were you at Ponderosa or were you somewhere else? No, it was just a hotel. Um, Okay. But but it was like, I felt like a caged animal. You know, I couldn't stop pacing around the room. After day one, I had done everything. I had read all, all the books I brought and I had worked out like eight times. It's like, there was just nothing else to do but like look outside through the window and like, wow, there's the beach, but I can't <laughs> see it or touch it. Like, just got to stay cooped up. <laughs> no TV? But, uh, there was a TV. Okay. 
what else? That you so did you watch some TV? You watch TV? Did push ups? Did sit ups? Yeah, I've watched local uh, Fijian television, like Animal Planet, uh, and I watched the same documentary on the Capuchin monkeys like five mm-hmm. times. Uh, there, there was one documentary about the migration of the monarch butterflies, which of course came into play when I went on the show. And it was like, oh man, I got to say the butterfly line. It's like, I know everything about the butterfly. Yeah. I know that it takes five generations of monarch butterflies to reach Mexico City and that the Day of the Dead is a celebration about those butterflies. Like, I know this. <laughs> was it uh, Flight of the Butterflies? Was that the, the documentary? Um, I can't remember what the documentary Flight of the Monarchs. Was. I don't remember. Might there's there's one at the Butterfly Wonderland here that they show before each viewing. And it pretty much follows like the generation of butterflies up to Canada and then all the way back down into Mexico. I mean, it is a crazy thing, like five generations to think that like, oh, I'm going to leave on this journey, but my great, great, great grandchild will complete the journey. When they get there, it's like they won't even know why it started or like how it began. Yeah, very selfless. Butterflies are very selfless. Uh, We go the next morning after the camp flag and we get Owen and he is talking about being isolated, his adoption story and how he never felt like all the other kids. And then... I think he brings up a very good point that uh, I think it's a pretty common point, but he talks about the people on the bottom creating an uprising. And I've always said with Survivor, if you are in the top alliance, you have to maintain a relationship with the people on the very bottom as much as you can so that when they flip the game, which they do 90% of the time, you're not their first target. And I, I think that Owen really spoke to that well here. And then he goes to Noel and Janine and Gabler and is like, we're going to do this. But then we see the power seven and they uh, all high five and think that it's going to be a a final seven here. Did you have a deal like this when you were on the island that was like, we're final 10 and there's 11 of us? I was on the uh, the other side. I was on the bottom. So I was the one like, come on, like people on the bottom, let's get together. But the problem was, is I was so far on the bottom that everyone was like, well, you're going to go before I will. So I'm fine being on the bottom of the majority, which was so frustrating to me. And I had a similar moment to Janine where it's like, you come back late at night, you're exhausted. You don't want to have to put in any work to socialize with these people who clearly don't like you, clearly don't want you here. And you're not like, you're not making any movement. Uh, for me, the people that I really wanted to get together, was Erica, Heather, Nasir, uh, Ricard, I felt like those people were truly on the bottom because you had the Black Alliance that was very strong at the time um, and they weren't going to budge. So it was important to get the people who weren't on the top of that ladder. And, you know, we didn't know at the time uh, the nature of the Alliance, but we did know uh, that they would, they would like openly, like you're saying, you got to let people, you make people feel like they're still a part of the team. <laughs> like the main Alliance in our season was not good at that. That was their downfall. Uh, Erica, myself, Shan, and I think Deshaun, it might've been, we're all sitting together talking. And uh, then Shan and Deshaun get up and, and uh, they, 
they're kind of like, yeah, we're going to have like a little meeting with our alliance, but we'll, we'll be back here. And it was like very clear that like they're going over to strategize and we're just kind of sitting here with like, you know, like <laughs> okay. no power. And it's like, it's like, wow, like they're really making it very obvious. Like that's going to be their downfall. Um, but of course, some people were reluctant to join the bottom, which was frustrating to me. It seems a little different on this season because the people on the bottom recognize that they're on the bottom and they want to kind of form that uprising. There's a large contingent that recognize they're on the bottom together. I think that's what's making the difference here. Uh, to counter what you said there, if you're on the top and you're too friendly with people on the bottom, then the people in your alliance are going to suspect you. So you do, it's like a fine balance between like, you know, being in that clique of the cool kids that are on the top and shunning the people on the bottom enough, but still keeping them close enough that when they get the numbers or when they're one away from the numbers, they come to you first. It's a, it's a, it's a balance beam. I think Carla is doing a good job of that. And she seems to be someone that everyone comes to to tell, you know, all of their, uh, air out their dirty laundry, talk to her about their secrets. Um, and even though she's in that majority alliance, she seems to be friendly with pretty much everybody. Yeah. I think Sammy too. Sammy's doing great. Sammy's on all sides. Yeah. 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 Yep. It's definitely going to catch up with one of those people. I don't know who, but one of them is going to get caught, uh, being friend to all, I think. I don't think you can have too many people make it to the end that are friends to all, unless they're together in it, bouncing back and forth. Um, when you got home from Survivor, did you heat up a burrito and wrap a pizza around it, Xander? <laughs> I did not, but I was really glad that they showed the scene on food because <laughs> so much of the game like behind the scenes is just food. It's all talking about what, what are we having for breakfast? What are we having for lunch? What are we having for dinner? And then like, what do we want when we get home? I would fantasize about Ferro Rocher's for like mm -hmm. no reason, but I, we would just Fancy. we would describe it in like painful detail. We'd be like, mm, like warm nougat center, like chocolatey <laughs> outside, you know, uh -huh. nuts Keep sprinkled going. on top, yeah. crunchy and soft and sweet. <laughs> yeah, we we would get pretty descriptive. Um, and the reason why I was so descriptive on my stew reward is because I had brought up how I really wanted stew multiple times. So either the producers were like, all right, give him the stew so he'll shut up. Or they were thinking like, he's going to go really detailed on the stew description. But I definitely loved the stew. It was top tier. <laughs> okay. And do you think that belly full had everything you wanted to eat? You get a bowl of that stew, you're going to be as pleased with it as you were then? Or do you think that because you hadn't eaten any real food, the stew was top notch? Yeah, it was a you know, first real meal I'd had out there. And it was a rainy day. So like warm stew on a rainy day, yeah. like huddled under the shelter. It was pretty perfect storm in terms of how it was going to taste. Okay, good. I, yeah, I, I think so too. Just like sitting there by the fire, eating your stew, looking out the window while it's raining. We get a moment with uh, Ryan and Gabler going out spearfishing. And the only thing I could think of is how come Ryan's never seen any of Ozzy's episodes? Like going out fishing, uh, what is the advantage for Ryan to go fishing? Is there an advantage? No, there's no advantage. I, you'd think that most people would have figured that out by now. 
I never went fishing, not once. I was always at camp. I wouldn't do anything. I would never leave because you got to have your ear to the ground. You got to, you know, like, like Tony, I think said it, like he was always awake is like another thing. You don't even have time to sleep. You got to always be watching and listening and making sure that you're a part of the talks that are happening. Because sometimes like this power seven that's formed, it doesn't really seem like there's any logic that formed behind their alliance. It's, it's kind of just, just a number. Like, these are the people who are like, well, we voted together last time. So, I mean, you got to make sure that you're always around because it could be a completely random event that binds people together and you want to be a part of that. Yeah. If you want to go fishing, you got to drag the majority of the tribe fishing with you. Come sit on the boat while I go fishing. Like that's the only way to do it. And being a provider is not worth very much. And probably worth less in a 26-day season, but whether it's 39 or 26, there's a finish line. And it's like, I can starve. Like Eating a bony, fingernail-sized piece of fish isn't going to change anything. And eventually, I'm going to get that burrito wrapped in pizza. Uh, so I, I think that Ryan is placing so much stock on this provider thing. And this is the moment where I was kind of like, ah, it's Ryan this episode. He's gone. Because he talks about fishing, he talks about leaving the group, he talks about, you know, being the provider. And uh, we think, I think like, okay, they're setting up his demise here. Then we cut to Sammy talking about the seven. And this was right after we'd seen all the seven sit together. We're the seven. This is how we're going. And then Sammy goes, where do I fall on the seven? And that is the question that you have to ask yourself if you are in the top alliance, am I getting to the end? with this alliance? Or am I number six, number seven, number five, number four? Where do I fall? And if I fall in that position, when do I have the majority or how long until I can't gain the majority to flip the script? And Sammy seems very assertive here and very aware that he's going to miss out on the numbers soon if he doesn't make a move on this seven. And uh, he goes straight to the foursome on the bottom and uh, says like, hey, we just need one more, two more people and we can make this happen. Um, was there a moment for you in your game where you recognized that a move had to be made at a certain junction or it was going to be too late to even make it? Well, I'd say at least with like the correlation of uh, recognizing that you're on the bottom, since I was very known to be on the bottom, it was more so trying to tell people that were on the bottom of the majority, hey, like, when was the last time you determined to vote? Like, how long are they going to keep you around? Like, are, do you actually have power in this alliance? If you joined me, then we could be the ones in charge. We could be the ones making the decisions. Um, and I think that that, like, decisive time, like that critical point, probably came around the time of the Shan vote. That was when things started to fracture with the major alliance. And, and for me, it was like I knew I had time on my side because with my idol, if they're whittling down the people on the bottom and I can be a cockroach and, and survive and avoid all their hits, then eventually they're going to have to turn on themselves. And so that time did come and there needed to be people who were willing to work together and form a new majority after that. And that was... Uh, Ricard, myself, Erica, and Heather, we kind of planned to stick together after that. Sammy talks about it uh, 
later in the episode about the timing of all these moves. And it really is true. Like you, there is such a thing as too early, but there's also too late. And a lot of times people will get that wrong as well. Like you can look at a move and say that was too early, but would they have been able to win over the majority had they waited one or two more tribal councils? Maybe not. Maybe that was their only option to go that early. On Blood versus Water, I took Aris out right after the merge and all the viewers were like, that's too early. But in my mind, the math I'd done I was certain I could get the numbers to do it then. And if we waited till we voted one or two more people out that were my numbers, then they would be done. I wouldn't be able to make that move. And so it was like, I have to make this move now. If it's too early, so be it. There's, I can't wait any longer for this. Otherwise, I won't have the numbers on my side. And so I think that like Sammy is very aware of that moment and those t- that timing. And I think he articulates it well in this episode. And I think that that is why, for me, it's a standout episode for Sammy and showing his strength as a st- strategic player. Let's go to the immunity challenge. Sitting out five players for Rice. You sitting out, Xander? I did sit out. We had this exact same scenario, but I needed to know who the people were sitting out uh, were. And so for us, it was like, I was the last one to say anything because I needed to know exactly who was going to be with me in this, because it's another way to form solidarity, especially if you've got people who uh, like to you know, maybe complain a little bit. We had very one-sidedness on our season and the people who were winning rewards. The same people were getting the same rewards every single time. And so when the people who were starting to say, you know, I'll step out for Rice, when I started to recognize those people as the people who don't get many of the rewards, I'm like, okay, this is a good opportunity to form solidarity with these people who don't get things because they're making a sacrifice. And I know it's going to piss them off when, you know, they're deciding to make this noble decision to step out and not do rice. And then, you know, maybe the tribe's not going to be as grateful. And that's exactly what happened is people, people aren't going to care about your sacrifice. You know, they're going to take it for granted every single time, no matter what you do for them. If you're getting fish, if you're stepping out for rice, nobody's going to care. They expect it. It's like, um, there's this, uh, famous question. It's like a philosophical question on whether or not stepping on or jumping on a grenade in like a war scenario is actually a sacrifice because everyone in that group near the grenade is going to die. So if you jump on the grenade and save your friends, you were already going to die. So it doesn't really change anything. You didn't sacrifice anything. And I feel like it's the same here. People kind of expect that, you know, well, we weren't going to have food anyway. So you stepping out and getting us food, it's like, we're all hungry. Of course you were going to do that. And they take it for granted. The only advantage I see in stepping out is to make a bond with the people who are going to be taken for granted. If those people are, you know, uh, especially like downtrodden about it. Um, like I remember we did have uh, a moment where Danny, it was either, I think it might've been Deshaun, uh, was talking about how the rice just, he, he wasn't really into the rice. He was like, ah, you know, it's not that good. And, you know, everyone, I'm looking around, everyone who stepped down for the rice is like, <laughs> like yeah, then don't kidding. eat it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you can form a bond with those people who made a sacrifice 
in like joining them. Yeah. And uh, I agree. I also think that like, uh, to your point, survivor is designed in a way where every single move that anybody makes can be viewed as selfish. And so it's like, sure, you're stepping out, but is it because you're hungry? Is it because you think it's going to help you in the game? Is it, it's for all these selfish reasons, even if there's someone who's purely selfless playing survivor and making a sacrifice, everybody is going to attribute that sacrifice to selfishness. And you have to go in understanding that and realizing that, and sometimes taking too, making too big of a sacrifice is detrimental to your game. And in this moment, I do think you're correct. You need to see who else is stepping out. A, is the person that your alliance or is the majority of your alliance staying into play so that you'll still have the immunity necklace somewhere within the people that you trust? Uh, is, are you, do you need to create bonds with these people and things like that? I set out a challenge for food once. And I did it specifically because I already knew I was going to play the idol at seven because I figured at six, nobody's going to draw rocks. Who would draw rocks at seven? That's foolish and idiotic. So I was like, I'm going to play it at seven because I know <laughs> that I can get to the end once I get to six. And this is the last moment where it's four versus three in some direction. I'm just going to try and draw the votes on me by enjoying this delicious meal and being very loud and obnoxious about it. And, uh, Nobody voted for me still, but I did play my idol. And then we drew rocks at six. So shows what I know. Was that like the fastest your heart's ever been racing? Like drawing rocks? <laughs> I don't know if it's the definitely one of. And also I was so mad at every single person involved. I was mad at Jervis and Monica because they kept being like making Sierra feel like she was on the bottom. And I'd done so much to make her feel like she was in the top with me. Her and I were number one and two. And then everybody else was behind us. Like every time I talked to Sierra, I was like, it's you and me and uh, uh, Jervis. And then what's that lady, Monica? It's us four. Like I always put her first in everything. And then that whole tribal council, Jervis and Monica, constantly put her at number four, counted her as four, put four next to her name. And I was just like reeling. And then when Sierra like made that move, I was like, was it best for her game to make that move? I mean, you can argue either way. She could have stayed in the game and made sure she was in the game without drawing rocks and maybe won out a little bit to get to the end. This way, she's definitely risking her own life as well to draw rocks. And so I looked at her and I was just like, and she was like, don't scowl at me. And I was like, I'm scowling so hard. I'm so mad. I got to play it cool. And, and then mathematically, like I had to do it. So, <laughs> so yeah. And it was, I did feel like my heart beating in my face, but it all worked out, but it could have, I mean, I had uh, redemption Island in place still. So I could have won my way back in. And that's literally probably the only reason I decided to draw rocks was that I had the insurance policy of Redemption Island. Otherwise, I probably would have just sent Monica home and hoped that I then won out to to get to the finals. We get these five people sitting out. I like Jeff where he was like, the precedent has been set. It's five people. And they tried to negotiate. And he was like, no negotiations here. How mad would you have been if he was like, I only need two people. Fine, you negotiated. Great. Two people. That would have been frustrating because we, we really we talked back and forth for quite a bit with Jeff and like 
Uh, yeah, I think that that was like, it was nice that they set that as a consistent bar because we we did have to earn that rice. And sitting out, it sucks, especially because the challenge that we were doing was an endurance challenge, which I love. Like, I mean, you going on Survivor is like such a dream. You just want to do every challenge. Like, I want to be able to try my hand at all these things because unlike the board games I can play at home, like if I lose... I can't just play again. You can't just like keep doing it until you get it. You only get one shot. And it's so rare that you ever get like one shot to play a game. And so to not do the challenge, I think it was the one where you balance the block on your head against the beam. Yeah. It's like, I, I would have loved to try that one. I'd like to see if I could win, you know? And now, now I'll never know. <laughs> never say never. I've played multiple challenges more than once. Uh, but you are right. Like, and that also comes into making that decision to sit out is like everybody kind of wants to experience this. And uh, for the most part, I mean, there's people that would prefer to sit out. Uh, but for the most part, I think you're, you're right. I like this little moment. And I also like that Owen recognized it. He goes on to win the challenge. But during this sequence of people sitting out, James, who is very anti-Owen, looks at Owen and tries to get him to sit out of the challenge as the last guy, thinking he can draw him out so he doesn't have a chance at immunity, and then they'll vote him out. And James, look at said Owen. Riley, you're shaking your head. You hate this. It was too no, you, forward you, of James. Yeah, you got to let like each each contestant make their own decision with this. And especially like put, putting someone on the spot like that. There's just no upside. Yeah, even if they are in your alliance, actually, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, what are you saying? You're saying, hey, you, I don't want you to compete for immunity. Not a good thing to tell anyone. (laughs) I think James is comfortable in his power seat right now. I think he's getting a little complacent with the votes going his way and being unstoppable, especially, you know, he's had a lot of votes against him. I bet he feels pretty invincible at this point. And he's doing the opposite of what you said and making sure the people on the bottom feel friendly with you. I mean, there is some merit to distancing yourself from the bottom people in front of all the power people. But that's the balance is like, where is that balance? Like you got to pick on the bottom people a little bit when you're in front of everybody. Cause you've got all the cool kids around you, but then you've got to rope them in and give them hugs and tell them that when they figure it out, you're with them. And, but you can't let the cool kids see you. Cause then now you're going to be in the bottom with them. And then your whole game's blown up. The challenge gets going and immediately the two women in the challenge are out. And I think that as I'm looking at this challenge, it's not just balance, it's strength. And the men go way longer because you not only you have to balance that thing, but I'm sure there's quite a bit of weight to it. And the weight is a lever against the grip of your hands as it's swaying. Is this a fair challenge? Like I know a lot of survivor challenges try their hardest to be fair to strength differences, uh, height differences, weight differences, all of those things. Uh, I feel like this one actually did not do a great job in balancing itself for all uh, different body types. I can see that. I could also see it as a repeat of the previous challenge, which was another grip strength one. These are two kind of wrist grip strength challenges. It's interesting. Yeah. I don't usually look at it from that perspective, but I could see that. Yeah. Because they had to stabilize it. It was all the same weight. It wasn't weighted. The pull and the ball weren't weighted based on their 
body weight or anything like that. Yeah. And so as the two women fell, that initially was my reaction was like, oh, those things are probably kind of heavy. And, you know, this teeny tiny girl in Janine who just seems to have shrunk down to nothing is trying to hold the same weight as Sammy and Cody and all these guys. Um, and the guys go for quite a long time. Owen ends up winning. And uh, Gabler's closing line after Owen wins is, as long as my name doesn't hit parchment, I'm moving forward. How do you think he wrote this line before he even got on the show? <laughs> Gabler's full of quotes like that. <laughs> I, I love that he sounds like Nicolas Cage too. Yes. He, he's, yeah. He, and he kind of looks like him. I, I, he's yeah. like, honestly, really growing on me. Like at first, I don't know. I was like, oh, he's this eccentric character, like maybe pre-merger just because he's like, re, you know, pretty out there. But I'm starting to really love Gabler. <laughs> like every time he's on my screen, he's got something great to say. And they're like, yeah, he's Nick Cage. It's, I, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Yeah. I, I mentioned that I had a friend text me and say, uh, this was weeks ago, and say that Gabler sounds exactly like Nicolas Cage. And I was like, that's the first time I've heard that. But it's true. It's absolutely true. Sound Voice sounds exactly like Nicolas Cage. And then some of his quotes too are just like, <laughs> like as long as my name doesn't hit parchment, I was like, parchment, sure, that's what they call it on Survivor, but anybody else would say paper. And we go back to camp and Ryan, I still feel he's just digging his grave when he, they have rice and he's like, I'm going to go out fishing for everybody because I am the provider. But first... I'm going to strategize with this group of seven here just for a little bit. And then I'm going to go fish. Uh, why is Ryan like this, Sander? I think that Ryan, I think this is a way of showcasing his strengths in the real world. You know, he's like a provider. He wants to be there for people. That's something he knows he's good at and he's sticking with what he knows. But again, like, I feel like if anything, he's kind of pitching himself as someone to bring to the end because you know if he gets to the end, he's going to talk about how much providing he did. And nobody really has any, like, nobody sees any value in that. So if he did get to the end, then his case is, well, I was fishing every day and I caught 21 fish. And, you know, it's, that doesn't resonate with people. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's probably just in his nature. He seems like a great guy. It's just yeah. that, like, for the game, uh, you know, the providing and being super kind, it doesn't have the same, you know, social capital that I think he thinks it does. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you too, Xander, you probably don't know this yet, but I'm one of the main providers in this family here in this house that you see behind me. Nobody gives a shit. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody here cares about that. It translates exactly to survivor. Nobody cares. Like you're not getting a medal for that. That's what you were wanting to do anyways. That's what you did. That's uh, somebody had to do it. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, he goes out fishing, and the second he goes out fishing, everybody says, let's go for Ryan. Sammy starts it. He wants to break the seven. He's ready to break the seven. You pretty much see a montage of the entire tribe agreeing to go Ryan now, which is crazy. Like, At what point in the game do you throw out trying to keep the votes mostly uh, unanimous? Because the, a unanimous vote is an easy vote because you don't have to show cards. You don't have to draw lines. Alliances are cloudy. If you're someone in the controlling alliance, that's exactly what you want. 
So, but it's risky because I could go to you and you're not in my alliance. And I say, hey, we're, we're going for Ryan, who's in your alliance, goes back to him, the whole thing blows up. Where is the balance there? And how do you go about trying to get a unanimous vote so that as many people can be on your side as possible? It's tough, especially with all the idols at play. If you are putting all your votes on one person, it just takes one person on the bottom to say, you know what, I want to ruin this whole thing play my idol for Ryan. And then, you know, I decide who gets to go home. So it leaves it up to a lot of vulnerability. Yeah. It's, it's so tricky. Cause then again, like it's, it is a very fine balance because if you go to the other side of the spectrum and there are multiple names out there, then people start getting spooked. That was like always the biggest indicator for me. If there was like, if I wasn't being really in on the, you know, the plans going on is when there were so many names out there that it's like, no, there's no way these people are voting for this person. And these people are going to vote for this person. There's another split here that's, you know, and then, oh, you know, we decided to change this one. Um, I, I feel like too complicated then makes it so that you get people paranoid and too simple makes it so that people get paranoid too. Yeah. And I, I, I agree. And for me, in this moment, I definitely would have been paranoid because it was so simple. Yes. And, uh, and that's kind of what happened is that it shifted all the way to Ryan. And then somebody said, well, are you sure it shouldn't be Janine? And then it kind of shifted back towards <laughs> Janine. <laughs> and that's all it takes. Like, had they gone to tribal council right there where they had all decided Ryan, he would have been gone. Like, and that's like Survivor, that's Again, the timing, like you have to time all those conversations to hit and to be finalized right when someone from production comes in and says, lock it down, shut up, put your socks and shoes on and let's go to tribal. Yeah. I, mean, I think Sammy said it, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, at tribal that like Survivor is a game of centimeters. That was a fantastic quote. Cody said because that. it is. Cody said it? Okay, yeah. yeah. Fantastic quote because it is. It's like such slim margins between like completely different outcomes. Like the slightest change in the wind affects everything. Yeah. The way you smirk at somebody, the way you side-eye somebody, the way you don't pay attention to somebody the way they wanted to be paid attention to, uh, the, the, you know, all of it. And, you know, even stuff that you can't control, like, you know, some people uh, maybe don't like a hairstyle or are bugged by somebody chewing or or the click in their jaw or the tone of their voice or that they sniff because they, you know, have a runny nose. Like there's so much. And with everybody being on edge because everybody's hyper paranoid, lack of sleep, lack of food, that makes everybody's pet peeves even more exaggerated. Yeah. And I think when Cody said that, that's exactly what I went to was I it was like, it's true. Like any tiny little facial, you know, any, anything you do could set the wrong person off that then causes a domino effect and you're the next one out. And uh, yeah, I, I also agree. Uh, let's go to tribal council. And Jeff opens with saying that each season has like a different social contract. Uh, did you understand what he was alluding to in this moment? If you had been asked this question by Jeff. That's pretty tricky. I feel like it changes so much. There's never really an overarching uh, philosophy that kind of like unites every decision and all the social interaction. That's tough though. I, 
I'm not so sure I would be able to come up with an answer, but I will think about it because that's, yeah, it's interesting. I kind of dismissed that comment because it's again, like the, you know, it's the social greatest social, social experiment on television. You write a social contract. I felt like it was another like, you know, gimmicky survivor of mine. So I didn't put much thought into it, but that's, that's interesting. Well, I think that after I heard all of the answers, I heard Gabler's answer about it being about relationships right now and that you have to be subtle in your gameplay. And Ryan said the game's moving slower because people are enjoying their experience. So everybody has this different vision of the social contract of their particular season. And I also think that that changes as the game's pace changes. So I think like I look back at the first time I played Survivor and you go in thinking you're going to slice everyone's throat the second you get a moment. And then you meet these people and you also have this bonding moment where you're like, everybody's in this absurd situation where we're all going to be on TV in six months. Nobody knows it. There's cameras around and you bond over it. And then you come to a moment where you're like, okay, it's harder to vote these people out now. And you're having this moment. But after you vote a couple people out and start seeing the sting and the pain and the anger and the hurt, the mind shift, the mind shifts a little bit and changes to a different social contract. And I think that as the game progresses, that contract also changes within that group of people where something maybe one or two tribals ago would have been a little bit uh, unacceptable and maybe not of one votes in the end game. Now it will. I would say for our season then, uh, and like with a lot of the newer seasons, maybe not so much 43, our social contract was coming off of like 2020 and like BLM protests and quarantine. It was a lot of these like huge overarching social movements that were very much playing a role in our game. And it was like, uh, you know, again, the, the survivor is a microcosm. That was sort of like the theme, uh, if you will, of like our social contract was like, we want to set a good example. We want to have these conversations that have real world implications, um, which yeah, I think is like pretty distinct in terms of survivor. Yeah, I, I probably, I do agree actually looking back on 41. I don't think we had any of that on any of the seasons I played. It was just like, you know, blindsiding people and being on the right numbers. And it was only about the game. No thought about outside of the game other than if I'm an asshole, uh, I'm going to get a lot of hate from the fans. That was pretty much it. And that, that was the only thing you thought about post-game was like, if you're too big of a dick here, uh, you're going to get a lot of hate tweets and hate mail and stuff like that. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I agree. that That's a good answer. We go to Gabler talking about plan A, plan B, back to plan A. How often does that happen? Uh, yeah, I'd say it happens a lot. I mean, it changes so much. And then depending on like, because you never like you see it all in one place on your TV, but actually physically on the island, all of these scenes you're seeing are happening at the same time. So if you're going off for a confessional, you come back, everything's changed. If you talk with one person and then walk over to another side of the island to talk with someone else, they haven't heard half the information you have. It's always changing. And like there are different parts and people at different times. So you'll get people who are still on, say, plan A. Well, half the island shifted to plan B. But because you talk to that person who's still on plan A, well, then it goes back to plan A. Yeah, it's it's uh, 
that's a the timing again and b like making everybody comfortable and and figuring it out and it could go back and forth between every single tribe member however many times if you gave it enough time yeah so and it's again timing like when it's time to go to tribal council are your ducks in a row in that exact moment and you're not always going to know exactly when the conversation has to stop and so that's what's also tricky. Um, Riley, let's say uh, you're Jeff Probst. Gabler comes in and is like, Ryan caught 22 fish today. And then Ryan's like, actually, it was 21, Jeff. What's your response there? If I'm Probst? Yeah. Cool story, bro. I think would have been the optimal response from Probst. Cool story, bro. I think that would have been a pretty, <laughs> pretty um, I, I iconic. Think that, I think that's if you're... Jeff oh, Probst. that's if I'm the host. Yeah, you you'd be a good, uh, yeah, good like have some zingers in there, sort of old school Jeff. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but you're not. What are you saying? How are you reacting? Oh, I don't know. I I, I wonder what happened to that extra fish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Gabler and them split. Like, a wait fish. a second. Yeah, yeah, wait a second. Hold What's on. The count you guys on were fish? fishing together. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what you would bring up then, as probst. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Who got who got the 22nd fish? Because it sounds like stories aren't aligning in this moment. Yeah, they, to they told the tribe 21 fish, but somebody let it slip that it was actually 22. <laughs> uh, Xander, were you uh, at all impressed? Because a lot of people talked about the fishing, this uh, whole tribal council. No. I mean, again, it's, it's like, uh, you, you know, it's cool, certainly, <laughs> but it's not something that... And, it, the funny thing is, is I think it has more value the less you talk about it. It's like an inverse equation because the more you talk about it, the more it's like, all right, come on, like 21 fish, 22 fish, who cares? Like yeah. it's food is food. Uh, but if it's not spoken about and it's just kind of like, yeah, he goes out and he provides, it's like, all right, that's pretty noble of him. But yeah, 22 fish, you could say a hundred fish and it'd be like, oh yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel also like the... Well, I feel like the thing that kept Ryan around the, uh, through this this episode was was like not the actual fish, but the fact that he goes fishing, which means he's just like not strategically really playing the game. It's like Janine will will eventually backstab people and will like make moves. Ryan's just gonna like be like, all right, tell me the plan, and then I'm gonna go fish for two hours. Okay, cool. He's a person you don't have to worry about. Yeah, and I think that's even he admitted it and was just like, yeah, I ran around, checked the plan for 10 minutes and then went fishing for three hours and all of that game swirled around him and he was completely unaware. Yeah. But I, I agree, Xander, like the more you brag and talk about the fish, the less anybody cares about the fact that you got that many fish. And I saw the size of those fish. Those are not real. That's not like a real fish. Those are like, like little aquarium. Fish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like that's what I was using as bait when I was on the edge of extinction. So I shoot one of those little fish, grind it up against the coral, and then sprinkle it down, trying to get a grouper. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's still something, and people are still going to eat it for sure, and they're still going to tell you thank you. But that is then their return to you. They don't owe you anything else past. A thank you. And even that you may not get from some people. Um, last thing before we go to voting is uh, is everybody's talking a little bit about trust and the social contract of the game. And I love when Sammy just comes out and is like, 
trust is a load of crap in this game. Uh, was that too honest from him in that moment? Or do you think it was fine because everybody was thinking and feeling it and he's just the one that said it? I, I think only time will tell because sometimes it's like, if you get a real answer like that, it could be like camaraderie, like, oh yeah, we're all BSing. Like even with our answers to Jeff, you know, it's like all pretty fake in the way that you're saying like, yeah, it's Kumbaya, trust. Like we all, you know, care so much. I mean, it's like, of course, partially true, but but I think that like that could reveal a little too much that Sammy's like, he knows what's going on uh, and he's going to be real with it. Yeah. Riley, what do you think? Uh, I don't, I don't think it's too bad. I feel like, cause, cause everybody kind of recognizes that that's sort of true. You know, you can kind of be like, oh, the trust is never really there. And it's like, I don't know. I, I don't think it's really going to like hurt your alliance and stuff because I, I think everyone's in the same boat. Right. Do you think it's going to help his, do you think it's going to help him moving forward? I just think it'll have like kind of no impact one way or the other. Okay. Well, like, I think it's just like, it's fine. S- so then you're saying that Survivor is not a game of centimeters. I also just think that the the tribal council like matters the least. Like I would worry <laughs> about what people say on the island more than what they say at tribal. But but maybe that's wrong. Maybe they're more honest at tribal. No, I mean, I think you have to pay attention at tribal. And I think some people under Jeff's pressure will be more honest. But uh, Xander, did you ever have a moment on, on Survivor uh, at tribal council where Jeff yelled at somebody because they were not being forthright enough with their answers or kept skirting stuff or... I can't remember exactly, but you know, we'll get a little short with like, uh, depending on what's going on. It's like, all right, come on, Mike, cut the crap, get to the point. Um, and you know, there's a lot of value in that. It depends on like going back to the question for Sammy. I think it depends on what kind of game he's like trying to play. If you're trying to play up like youth a little bit and naivety and have people like, you know, not thinking of you as like a big threat yet, like a real player then, you know, maybe don't say anything or give a BS answer like everybody else blend in. But if you kind of want to be someone who, you know, I want everyone to take me seriously. I want this to be the moment when people start seeing me as a real player. Then I think a a real answer, like saying, yeah, it's all crap. I think that that's probably going to further his game if that's what he wants to be seen. I I like the honesty and I kind of resonated. I like that resonated with me. I was like, yeah, speaking the truth in this moment. And I do wonder if, They've had that with Jeff yet where a lot of people don't know this, but if enough people skirt the questions and Jeff needs the answer that he wants, he will get upset or short with someone. Uh, There was a moment where he told me he would eviscerate me if I kept skirting the questions. Uh, And then I gave it exactly straight to him. So I think those are the moments that matter the most in seeing what people are feeling is after Jeff gets mad at them and then they have their answer. That's the answer that you can, you know, put uh, a little weight into. Do you like Ryan more or less after his pep talk to Janine when he voted her out? One, like, who is that for? Nobody's nobody's <laughs> going to look at that and be like, yeah, Ryan, tell her. Like, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's Goliath. Like, yeah, there's just no need. <laughs> and what are you doing in that moment when you're voting people out? Because let's go back to you're voting Janine. You vote Janine out. You're trying to give her a hug. You're going to high five. You're going to avoid eye contact. What's your play? I mean, I think um, I think that the Sammy philosophy here is a little bit better. You just cut the crap and you just, you kind of like, yep, it's how it is. Like it had to happen. 
rather than trying to BS and be like, oh, I'm sorry. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes it can be very like emotionally hard to let someone go if you've been so close to them, like a really close ally. Like there can be that side of you that's like, ah, man, like I don't want to do this. I do really feel bad. But I think that they just got stung. They don't want to hear it. They don't care. Whether or not it's genuine, it's just not going to help. Yeah. If you voted against them, the best thing you can do is hang your head, keep quiet, look sad, and uh, let them do their thing and exit. Like there's, especially if you're close to them, there's, you cannot stand up and be like, sorry, I'm so sorry. I really, what we had was real. It's just the game because you're not getting their vote at the end. That's you telling them not to vote for you. I learned that the hard way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I also say coach did. I think coach would have won that season had he not tried to hug every person he voted out as he voted him out. Then he wouldn't be coach. He wouldn't be coach and the season wouldn't have been as (laughs) as hilarious. But like, that's the, like, you can't. And that's the game of centimeters, honestly, is, is little things like that, little moments like that. Like, Knowing someone and what they're going to respect in that moment when you vote them out or what's going to at least appease them the most is all part of it. Because maybe somebody does want to hug. I know, Riley, if you're if I have to vote you out and I'm like, Riley, we're still doing the podcast together after this. I'm so sorry. You can even, uh, you know, be the main host a couple episodes next season. Like maybe that would work. Would that work, Riley? I just definitely don't want to hug if you're voting me out. Like, just just let me stew. Yeah, don't touch me for a long time. Unless yeah. you then feel the sting, then we can hug in Ponderosa and I can look at you and say, it shouldn't have been me. See, that your whole game fell apart when you got rid of me. Like, that's the only solace you get as someone who gets voted out is that the people who voted you out follow you out of the game. Yeah, my, th- that, that's what would happen. It would be like, you vote me out, I'd be pissed, wouldn't want to talk to you for a while, which is fine because we'd be separated. And then once you're back, it's just be, it like, wouldn't even want to talk about it. It'd just be like, hey, we good? And it'd be like, yeah, we're good. Yeah. Like, unless, that, that's it. And, <laughs> that's unless the conflict I won. management. Unless I won, then you'd be uh, bugged by that. Well, then I'd have to, I'd, I'd, well, if I'm on the jury in this scenario, I might be part of that. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Well, uh, if it's fans versus favorites and we find ourselves on the season, Riley, I will never turn on you. I promise. Sure. Yeah, I promise too. Okay. <laughs> Good. Well, uh, we've reached that moment uh, where it is Riley's superlatives. Riley, what have you got for us this week? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do best move of the episode. Xander, you got a best move of the episode? Where exactly was the turning point when it went back to Janine? It was Cody flipping it back to Janine is what we saw as him being like, are you sure you want to do Ryan? Because Janine seems more strategic and Ryan's going to be with us. I like that. I think, think, you know, every time you should be trying to knock someone out who people take seriously rather than someone like Ryan, where they've actively shown us that like Ryan will do something. uh, I think it was maybe two episodes ago when Ryan was pretending for Cassidy that (laughs) the acting school. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. that He he was pretending that he was the one going home and they're panning to everyone and they're like, all right, come on guy. So you want to keep someone like that around. And so for Cody, whether or not that was his intention to want to keep someone like that around, and go for someone who's more like taken seriously. 
that's a good move. I don't disagree. I like I like that. I think Janine, out of Brian and Janine, Janine was the proper target for most people's uh, game here. I like, and this arguably could have been last week's, but we didn't see it, Jesse keeping Dwight's idol and not telling anybody about it and realizing the mm. value of no one knowing about it. That's so huge. I mean, like, it's probably the first advantage that nobody's known about in the new era because all of them you have to, like, you know, announce to everyone, to the world. We don't know if anyone knows about uh, Carla's idol either. It seems like no one does, except that it was one of the Beats ones. And so maybe people, people know. figured it out. Yeah, you think people so? figured, yeah, for sure. People mm. figured it out. Yeah. The second okay. they hit the beach, the person who knows about the beads, like, was anybody collecting beads on your beach? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody knows. Gotcha. What, what about you, Riley? I had voting Janine. I just think that because she's actually a gamer. Um, it's sort of weird, like going into that tribal council, I was like, should it be Ryan or Janine? Like, who it'll be? And kind of was like, well, if they're smart, it has to be Janine because Ryan's just an open book. What about the worst move of the episode? I have a couple for this. I mean, Ryan going fishing constantly and then bragging about the fish is uh could be pretty bad pretty tough yeah xander yeah i'd probably say bragging about the fish i think that we've we've seen examples of that like talking about anything you've done actively i think like angelina is the one that's most fresh in people's minds but like pitching to people about how you've really benefited them or helped them that's just never never something people want to hear especially when they didn't get helped all the way to the end I helped you while you were in this game that you're now out of. Riley sounds like he has something good that we uh, didn't think about. What is it, Riley? So one one we've kind of already hit on, which was James uh, shouting out Owen at the the challenge to step down for Rice, which I think yeah. will come back to bite him. I think he's not going to make it super, super far. James won't because he, he's just setting himself up, I think, to, to be blindsided. But one we haven't hit on was uh, Cassidy voted for Ryan. Um even though she must have known that the vote was Janine. Was it Cassidy? Yeah, it was Cassidy who voted for Ryan. She was the other vote. So Janine and Cassidy were the two votes for Ryan. Janine's obviously gone. And now Cassidy's going to have to go and like explain herself and whatnot. Uh, and I just don't understand why she did that. So uh, Split vote, idly type scenario, maybe. But you already had a vote on Ryan. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe she's feeling on the bottom so much that if it's a split vote and somebody put it on her because she feels on the bottom, then she would protect herself a little bit. I don't know. You're, you're right. Yeah, I guess that is not a great move. Maybe she wasn't aware because she did definitely want Ryan uh, over Janine. She wanted to keep the women strong. And, you know, Ryan wasn't someone that was like aligned with her early in the game. She could probably hide, though. I've definitely hidden from like voting someone's name. Uh, Nasir um, thought the entire game and you know possibly still thinks that Heather wrote his name. I guess he watched the show, so he couldn't. Uh, but but uh, there was like, he was so convinced that Heather wrote his name down. It was like, you know, it was easy to get him to think that because he knew that Heather didn't like him. So it was like, oh yeah, Heather wrote your name. But I was the one who wrote his name down went the whole game without knowing. Oh, you're getting a call from Nasir as soon as uh, this pod goes live. For sure. But Nasir and I are all good. <laughs> <laughs> what else we got, Riley? Favorite moment of the episode? It was probably the Gabler quote. <laughs> as long as my name doesn't hit parchment. Yeah, I mean, he, he's great. There was something else. Was this the Ali Gabler one or was that last episode? That was last. Yeah, That's when they were in a challenge together. 
It's too bad. I love that. Alligator. <laughs> <laughs> um, was this challenge new? I don't think I've ever seen this one. I think they've done stuff like this yeah, before. They've Maybe definitely done exactly the pole extension one. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You got to add yeah. even with even balls on top of it. But I think like the ball being that size with the platform, obviously a little bit different. I remember the one where they did a little statue on top and yeah. it was a uh, second chance. They had the showdown between Keith and Joe. Uh, but I don't think I've seen the ball one. So I, I like, you know, this season they've brought some new challenges into the mix. I really like that. I like new challenges. I still maintain that this one's weight uh, was not fair for everybody involved, but no matter how hard you try, something's not going to be fair for everybody. I like that Survivor tries to make things fair in the challenges as often as possible, uh, but sometimes you just can't. I kind of liked Gabler at Tribal Council patting Ryan on the back for the 22 fish he caught. Like, <laughs> it's like so Gabler, like, this guy caught 22 fish. And then Ryan's like, actually, 21. I like, I, I like, like the second that all that, all, I was like, oh my gosh, you guys, come on. And I did Gabler do that on purpose to get Ryan going? Like, is is Gabler so many levels ahead of us that we are looking at him being like, come on, Gabler, that's not, or is he just being Gabler? Like, that's what I don't know right now. I think he's just being Gabler. Okay. I, I don't think he's 20 steps ahead. <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> just going to go out on him. What's your favorite moment, Riley? Uh, mine was Jesse pulling out the idol. I know we talked about how that that has some downsides to the storytelling, but in the moment, my jaw just like hit the floor. Uh, yeah, thought it was thought it was really fun, especially after everybody high fived about her idol being flushed completely. I know, and the, we finally have an advantage floating out there that people don't know about. We have some uh, some knowledge that can remain secret. Yeah, if he plays that, people's minds are going to be blown. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's like a big move, big resume booster for when he yeah. pulls that out and says how he got it. Thinking about that, that's definitely too. That's a pretty cool moment. Okay, winner picks. Xander, who's your winner pick? I think Jesse's sitting pretty. I think Jesse's got a lot of close allies. He's not, you know, too above the surface. He's like flying pretty mid-level uh, radar-wise. He's in the majority. He's got two idols right now, as he said. Um, and I just, uh, I could see him going like really deep. I want to ask you real quick here, Xander, when is the correct time for Cody to ask for his idol back from Jesse? When is the correct time for Jesse to just go to Cody and say, Hey, here's your idol back. Thanks for letting me hold on to it. Cause if he's still holding on to it, it's two days after he gave it to uh, Jesse to begin with. If you're Cody, you got to start being nervous or be like, do I trust this guy? What's going on? Uh, what's the play here? Is Does Cody already have the idol back? I think Cody should have asked for it immediately. Uh, when I gave my idol to Tiffany, I was like, I was expecting that she might try and hold it because that's what I would have done. You know, I yeah. would have been, or I would have at least considered like, you know, what are the ramifications from just like saying, you know what, it's mine now. Um, so I think you just, you know, negate that risk and get it immediately. I was really shocked to learn that he was just letting Jesse keep it. I think Cody has it back. I think they didn't show us. Probably. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, Riley, I know we've been on the Carla train. You're hopping off. She's still playing a strong game, but I think this secret idol that Jesse has is going to be a huge 
resume booster. If he plays it right at the right moment, he's this is going to be enough for him to win the game. All right. All right. I see how it is. I also like Sammy this episode as a front runner and Carla still. So yeah. those are my three. It's between those three. One of them is winning, but I have to say Jesse and his secret idol, he's he's getting close now. I, I like all three of them, but I'm sticking with Carla. And she's got an idol too. I think that she's smart enough to use it to make a big move as well. And she's got kind of like everybody talks to her. She's she's in a good, good position. Yeah, that's true. Okay, last superlative is who's the next person going home? This is sort of impossible to predict, but we try every week. Tyson, who you got? James. Me too. I also have James. Yeah, I think he's getting too comfortable. He's getting too cocky. He's treating uh, people like he is the kingpin, and that doesn't bode well for him. In this era where it's like, oh, you have to make a big move, it's like taking out James feels like a big move. If, if they had flipped and taken out Ryan or somebody, it's like, all right, cool, but that's not winning you a million dollars. Xander, what? What do you think? I think the exact same thing. They've built up this like underdog story for the people on the bottom. And I think if they're going to take anyone out on the top, James is definitely the one they've shown to be a bit of like the kingpin, especially with the scenes from the next episode. So I think someone calls him the the godfather. And yeah. It's like, yep. Yeah. That's a that's a bad sign. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be called that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the only thing worse than being called that is calling yourself that. Yeah, that's way worse. <laughs> 21 fish, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, I think it's actually two people going home next episode. Did yeah, it's a double elimination, oh. right? Yeah. Okay. Oh, whoa. So Is who it else? two muni necklaces? Yeah, I guess we need two. Oh, man. Do you think it's a guy and a girl? Or do you think it's just split uh, randomly? I think it might be split randomly. Because the guys and girls, are many. are they even or not even right now? They're not three, even close. Three even. girls. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's just going to be split at no. random. Is it two? Three, yeah. It's Cassidy, Carla, and Noel. Noel, Noel. Are the three. Yeah, and then the rest are all men. So it's it's not even close to even. I think they've got to do. It's just going to be random. Now, this will be 10. So it'll be 5-5, five, five, I think. I'm going to say James and Ryan. I think uh, one of them's going to be an e- Ryan's going to be like the easy-ish vote, and one of them's going to be like James the Godfather. I like that. That feels right. Maybe James and Owen just taking out like kind of a stab at the dark. That's what I was thinking. I think that Owen seems to be on upward trajectory, but I could see out of left field the circumstances aren't right, and he's like maybe an easy target. I don't disagree. Okay, Xander, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us, watching the episode and chit-chatting. Uh, where can people find all the uh, exciting things you're up to? Uh, mostly on Instagram, uh, at Xander Hastings. Uh, I try and stay off my phone as much as I can. But yeah, that's that's probably the best place. But I did, um, I did just buy a cabin that I'm going to convert into an Airbnb. So I'll probably be doing a lot of updates on that while I'm renovating. It's uh, out in Colorado, so that'll be fun. So any nature content you know if you tyson if you want to send me a shirt so that yeah. i could uh, rep it <laughs> i will i'll send you a shirt all right that'd be great i love the design <laughs> okay thank you i appreciate that yeah you can find all of my designs on uh, tysonapostle.com thank you for bringing that up xander i'll send you a shirt and uh until next week thank you everybody for listening uh riley thanks for taking time away from the nfl to cover survivor with us and uh, we'll see you all next week bye